saying a great deal there about the victory of, that we have in Christ. We're going to be looking at that thought this morning of victory. Let's ask that God's blessing to be on his word as it's read and ministered to us today. Heavenly Father, we ask that your spirit who inspired your word may be at work in us as well, that whether it's in the ministering of your word or whether it's in our receiving of it, that your spirit would be working marvelously that we might respond, Lord, in faith and hope and love, which you've called us in Christ. We'd ask that you would hear us in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be taking a look, as I mentioned earlier, at Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13 this morning. We consider the temptation of Jesus there. The sermon title being Christ's victory over temptation. Looking at the prelude of that, the pathway and the aftermath of that victory. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And here's what we read from the word of the Lord. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command the stone, this stone, to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him, until an opportune time. We thank the Lord for this portion of word. May it indeed be a blessing to us this morning. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, our boys and girls are among maybe the most, although we may be doing it ourselves as adults, of putting verses to memory. And putting verses to memory is, is a profitable exercise. Psalm 119 speaks about that in verse 11. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. As was the case of Christ, having the Bible in your heart helps you to fight temptation. It's just like when I was talking with some uh, people in some classes that I've been teaching of late where I said, if your Bible's not open... It's no surprise when people just run roughshod over the things that God has commanded. Well, if your heart's open to the word and it's stored up there in your heart, that word, uh, then 
the fighting off of temptation can occur a lot quicker, can't it? If, if God's word is nowhere, especially not in your heart, it shouldn't surprise us when little or no fighting off of temptation happens. Temptation is as old as man himself. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And none of us fight it off perfectly, except Christ, who's the reason why we're here in praise of God today. It's, it's his focus that was found on the baptism, along with the Spirit and the Father. We find our strength in him that way. We find our victory that way in him. Because where we fail and when we are weak, even the boys and girls know that song, right? Jesus loves me, this I know. And, uh, you know, where the Bible tells you so, little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he's strong. Where we have failed, Christ has prevailed. And that's taught in this passage today, to our encouragement, to our comfort, to our challenge. The prelude, the pathway, and the aftermath of Christ's victory is found here in this passage. We want to take a look at, first of all, the prelude here. We read that Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit, and that he's led by the Spirit for 40 days into the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil. So why the wilderness, and why 40 days, and why be tempted? Well, when Adam and Eve were tempted by the devil, it wasn't in a wilderness, was it? It was in the Garden of Eden. And yet Jesus is being tempted in a similar fashion. As Jesus takes Adam's place in representing the human race. Adam, who was just mentioned at the end of Luke chapter 3. This new Adam is going to prevail where the old Adam did not. In fact, not any of us in the old Adam have prevailed. Because while we die in Adam, we're to find our profession to be that we live in Christ. We're losers in Adam. We're victors in Christ. Wilderness in Scripture reminds us of curse and and judgment. You see it all over the place. I mean, a couple just as an example, and there's a plenty of examples where you could find that. Part. One example is Jeremiah 50, verse 12, when Jesus, or God is talking about the judgment on Babylon. And he says in verse 12 there in Jeremiah 50, your mother shall be utterly shamed, and she who bore you shall be disgraced. Behold, she shall be the last of the nations, a wilderness. A dry land and a desert. That's in the context of judgment. That's in the context of curse. Chapter 51 of Jeremiah, speaking also of judgment upon Babylon. In verse 43 says, Her cities have become a horror, a land of drought and a desert, a land in which no one dwells and through which no son of man passes. You know, these are things that remind us of the very curse on the earth that comes in the aftermath of Adam's failure. But thanks to Christ and his coming, blessing would come into desert places. We could, you could read Isaiah 35 and see that transformation that is to take place. 
such cursedness, though, is the context of Christ's coming. Different than the situation in Ad with Adam. He's in a situation that's wrecked by sin, that's wrought with sin, that's wrecked by man. And he's come to clean it up. He's come to transform it. He came into a world that was in need of renewal, and he battled for that renewal, and he succeeded in winning out and appreciate or realizing that renewal like nobody else could. And he brings life, and he brings blessing where there was only death and curse because of man. His time in the wilderness, you see, is stressing the difficult depths to which Christ had to go to change curse to blessing. There's a lot of need here. There's a lot of change that needs to happen. And this wilderness environment speaks to that. The need for blessing to come where there's curse in the world and blessing to come for us where otherwise there was nothing but curse. And, and that's, as we read this, we, we need to then be reminded or, or realize and appreciate the depths to which Christ had to go so that we might know blessing in our lives rather than curse. Israel spent 40 years in the desert, of course, because of disobedience. And Jesus spends 40 days. But the desert was also a place of testing. Uh, Hebrews 3, 8, Psalm 95, a place that you could look where it speaks to that. And it was a preparation time also, wasn't it, for the inheritance yet to come. Now obviously the wilderness was not the inheritance. And yet even there, the, the hope of inheritance was provided and it was promised by God. The the surroundings didn't look like it, but the word was there to spur people on. Despite the sin, despite the hardship, despite the environment, despite the temptations, despite the testings, God eventually brought Israel into the inheritance of Canaan, didn't it? Faith became sight in a sort of way that way. But now you have Christ who's led through the desert for 40 days. Israel was led by the Spirit, by the pillar of fire back in the day, and now Christ is being led through the desert by the Spirit for 40 days. And you see a sympathetic kind of leading here. Christ, you see, is being tested on the one hand and tempted on the other. Christ is this new Israel. Only he's better. He's the beloved son. He also was told that just a few verses before. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he's going to gain a kingdom and he's going to gain an inheritance as the beloved son and he's going to do it for himself and he's going to do it for his own much greater than what the old Israel received. Much greater than the Israel of old. Because it's based on a perfect merit that neither Israel of old or any of us could ever claim. 
But here was Christ, tempted like Israel of old, tested like Israel of old that way, Adam of old, but coming through victorious. But it's not just that Christ is tested like Israel of old. Christ can sympathize with God's people of all ages who are tempted. He's like us. And he knows what it's like. And he's overcome it. He's overcome temptation to save us. But also so that you and I can find grace and help in time of need through him in our temptations also. It's a, it's a comfort to see, really, when you see what's going on here, that while Satan is tempting, there is the leading of the Spirit. Because he prevails. <coughs> Satan tempts, but God tests. We can look at our own temptations like that. Jesus was put to the test in these temptations. Would he believe the word of God or the devil? Would he believe that he was the son of God, cared for by him or not? Would he bypass obedience and let the end justify the means? Was he going to put God to the test or was he going to allow him to be tested? Himself to be tested. These were Satan's wiles. These were his tricks to destroy Christ. But, but they were God's tests to strengthen Christ and to prepare him for better things. And when temptation strikes you and me, we need to keep the bigger picture in mind as well. We, we shouldn't be looking for spiritual trouble, of course. That's why we pray, lead us not into temptation. But when it comes, will we be ready to face it with the vision that God is testing us, seeking to strengthen us for further service in his kingdom? Since Christ faced temptation and won, not only do we find our righteousness in him that way, but we can also seek his help in facing the temptations that come our way so we can be used in the moment and for other things down the line and continue the sanctifying process on the way to the promised land, on the way to glory. Well, that's giving us a little bit of the prelude. Now what about the pathway? The, third, the three temptations remind us of Adam's failure, but they also but also of Israel's yielding to wilderness temptations. Where they didn't believe, if it really comes down to basic things that way, right? They didn't believe that God could provide. You always saw that in the wilderness stories. And you, you see that, in a sense, also with the Adam and Eve story. They, they tested God's word. They didn't believe his word. And they chased after other gods. Adam did that. Adam and Eve did that. Israel did that. Adam and Eve acted that way in the garden. And Israel acted that way in the wilderness. We take a look at those temptations a moment. It's very similar to Adam's temptation. Is number one. Adam just mentioned in the chapter previous. They both appealed to the appetite. I mentioned Adam because Adam was responsible. It was Eve that's tempted. But Adam was in charge. He should have been uh, protecting his wife. And he wasn't. But both appeal to the appetite, don't they? And yet Christ's temptation is far tougher in order to display the power of Jesus' love for his Father and his love for his people whom he came to save. Because Adam was not famished. We read in our passage that Jesus was hungry. After 40 days, he'd, he'd think so. 
And he didn't have choice of any other tree in the garden. There wasn't any choice. Adam wasn't in the, the, the same kind of hostile environment. He was in the garden. He had every advantage. Adam was, was not alone for that matter. Jesus didn't eat for 40 days. So Satan tempts Christ. You're his beloved son. It doesn't look like it. He hasn't provided. Provide for yourself. Take matters into your own hands. Turn the stone into bread. You cannot depend on the word of your father who says you are his beloved son. Prove your God's son by saving yourself. Sounds like what will be said later from the cross or when Christ is on the cross, right? Save yourself by performing a miracle. Save yourself by coming down from the cross. Take care of your humanity by the power of your divinity. So Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, which was written to remind Israel as they headed to their future of how God had taken care of them through 40 past years. Take a moment to read that uh, portion. Uh, it's something that Jesus quotes here, of course, but then we also hear it in Deuteronomy 8. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to you to give to your fathers, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, Man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God hadn't taken care of Jesus every day in the desert as Israel had been taking care of 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus knew that there was more to life than being well fed. And 40 days without food certainly showed that. There was more to life though than food. There was trust. There was obedience. There's the word of God that said and promised him that he was his beloved son. Jesus knew that God would provide. That wasn't first on his list. He knew that God wouldn't let him die out there. That was not the way of the cross. God would lead him out of that desert to an inheritance that he deserved through a different death. Life for Jesus, you see, was not mere bread. Life for Jesus meant obedience to God first, even as we pray. Otherwise, everything's going to be death for him anyway. Because you eat and drink, and then tomorrow you die. And that's how a lot of people go about life. We've said that before. We've said that more of, of late. Right? And Jesus learns, or Jesus knows, that life is more than food. So Jesus wouldn't take matters into his own hand. His trust, his priorities, would be in the word of his Father. And through that trust we gain the, the everlasting inheritance, 
with Christ as his co-heirs through faith. But we learn more than that. We, we find ourselves doing that, right? We pray for a daily necessity. We did that today a little bit, corporately. But there are times when even our daily necessities take a back seat to the devotions that we must have to the Lord. Right? And we get reminded here that God's glory and our trust in Him is to be priority. There's life in that. Right? We shouldn't be surprised if people, you know, if we think about the abortion issue, for instance, right? That death becomes the solution for people. Death becomes the solution. And why is that? Well, it's because they don't find their life in Christ. And they don't find that obedience is more important than filling their own needs that they have physically. They believe that eating and drinking, they believe death is the ultimate solution when the ultimate solution is Christ himself. And they don't make that a priority at all. Well, here are all the kingdoms of the earth, says Satan, and they'll all be yours. I, I have the authority to give them to you. And he's telling Jesus to bypass the way of glory. Grab power, do it by idolatry, and run ahead of God's timetable. And don't follow his, his blueprint. Now, now, does that seem a bit presumptuous on, on Satan's part? that I have the ability to give you all authority. Now, it's true that he's called the prince of this world, but that's because he rules in people's hearts, not because he owns kingdoms and power. Temptations don't have to be true, of course. They just have to sound true and sound very appealing. Take the easy way out. Let the end justify the means. Who cares as long as you get what you want? Exaltation through rebellion not by humiliation and obedience and submitting to the Lord. Take the easy way out, not the obedient way out. Sometimes when we take the right way, it's the hard way. Not everybody likes us for what we do, and it's a matter of obedience. It's easy to take the disobedient route rather than the obedient route. But Jesus quotes the spirit of Deuteronomy 6 and in uh, verses 4 and 13. Worship the Lord your God, and him only you will serve. Christ, he'd become king all right. King of kings, Lord of lords. He would receive all authority in heaven and on earth, but he would do it God's way. Jesus would become Lord of all, but it would be the way of the cross by which he would do it. He had come by the virtue of submission. He had come by considering others better than himself. He had come by honoring the Father and, and serving him in all things. Now that's what Brandon and Ashley are called to teach their children. And because of that spirit and life, he was given his due and his people will reign with him because of it. People who appreciate Christ's saving and, and humble approach and follow it. Pleasure and power and popularity and prosperity, none of it's worth it if we deny, if we deny the Lord his due in worship and in life. We're better off waiting on the Lord in obedience and patience than running ahead of him in, in, in impatience and rebellion. We've got the third temptation here. Satan takes him to the top of the temple 
Some have said that the, one, of the sides of, one of the sides of the temple had a cliff that dropped off some 450 feet. Well, here we read of the Son of God theme again. In, in the first case, it was a matter of taking things into one's own hands. Now it's a matter of testing the extent of God's care. Satan says, let's just see how trustworthy God is. Throw yourself down because Psalm 91 says that he'll take care of you. But we're not to put God to the test, are we? God has nothing to prove. That's, that's part of the problem with unbelief, right? God has always got to prove something. God doesn't have to prove anything. God has nothing to prove. God may test us, and with good reason, as his creatures and his own in Christ, but we have no right to test God's word or his promises. So Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6, 16, calling water, the water from the rock story. You shall not put the Lord to the test. And how was Israel doing that? They were saying, look, we're thirsty. Is God really with us? Can we really rely on him? Jesus didn't have to challenge God so that God would prove that, that his father would prove that. He had his father's word. And that was enough for him. Because he trusted his father and he refused to do what Israel did years before, he showed that he was the true son that Israel could never be, nor any of us in our own sin could ever be. But as imitators of Christ, we too must avoid challenging God, right? It can come by refusing to use the means that the Lord provides. Maybe it's medicine, maybe it's facilities, maybe it's skill or strength of the church, or simple common sense in being responsible human beings. We can't expect to do well with a prayer for the Lord to provide when we refuse to be responsible to the Lord. But it can happen whenever we question whether God is with us. We can, we can do that by forgetting the very means that God has, has used to, to express his, his presence and care all around us. We just read about that, we prayed about that, that his fatherly care surrounds us all. Maybe it is a care facility. Maybe it's family or, or friends. Maybe it's the daily food and drink that we are able to receive. Or his simple promises to us, which at the same time are profound. Or, or the sacraments that reassure us of, of God's care for us. God doesn't have to do the spectacular to display his presence. He can do that in the very everyday means that he uses, if we but have faith to see it. Because who are we to say that, that God is not with us? No, we need to be asking ourselves, are we with God? We're with God only through the victory of Christ. And in the aftermath of this temptation and this victory, the devil leaves in defeat. He doesn't get the end that he got with Adam or Israel. He gets the beginning of his crushing, the crushing that he deserved. And it's not that Satan's not going to come back in battle. We see he's looking for another opportune time because he does that over and over again in Christ's ministry, even by entering Judas Iscariot. And his battle was certainly not just a deep one, but a persistent one with Christ. But the victory in the desert was but a glimpse of the full victory on the cross. Full because Christ, as opposed to Adam, and opposed to Israel, and opposed to all of us, never yielded to temptation. But he was obedient to the end, even death on a cross. 
He was and he is the beloved son in whom the father is well pleased. Righteous to save us from the curse. Righteous to give us God's blessing. And the everlasting inheritance yet to come while we travel through this wilderness of life. And he's also, he's also our inspiration to help us in our temptations so we can seek his help. And why? So that we'll put God first in our lives in worship and in the world around us. Because when we're Christians, if we are, We've got a fight of faith to fight. And it'll be a good one. If we remember the Christ who won the victory for us. And if we're inspired to be like him. Be like him. And put God first in our lives when we're tempted to put anything else beside him. Praise God for the victory of Christ over temptation. Amen. Let's take a moment to respond in prayer, shall we? Father in heaven, we ask that your word may be a blessing to us in this morning hour. As we go about all the things to which you called us to be, may we find our victory in Christ and seek to live a life worthy of that gospel as we encounter the temptations of life putting you first in worship and in the world in which we live. We pray that you'd accept our prayer for Jesus' sake.